as soon as you can legally talk about it, you want to start engaging people. The best thing to do is have um, uh, FAQs, frequently asked questions, sit down with your team and the team of leaders and say, what do we expect to be asked and on both sides and actually have written answers that are available for your leaders to refer to. If not, they're going to fill in the blanks with things that are not necessarily true or right. I mean, they have good intentions, but they're, they, you know, you want to make sure the messaging is the messaging that you want to put across about what's happening. And that's a huge piece of it. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Businesses acquire or merge with other companies for a variety of reasons maybe to add technology or key skills to their own portfolios, diversify into other markets, or simply increase their own market share. In 2022, around $2 trillion was dedicated to M&A activity. However, many, if not most, of those deals will end in financial failure. According to Harvard Business Review, between 70 and 90% of mergers and acquisitions fail. While those failures are sometimes related to product or strategy, more often the failures boil down to people issues. Whether there are conflicting company cultures, clashes of leadership style, diminished employee engagement in the acquired company, or a host of other issues, it often boils down to individual contributors' expectations, commitment to the new organization's mission, if they even understand it, and sense of security heading into the future. There can also be negative impacts on the people and culture of the acquiring company, particularly where incumbents are concerned that newcomers may displace them or move ahead of them in the corporate hierarchy. Joining me today to discuss the people piece of the M&A process is my friend and mentor, Diane Gallo. Over her career, Diane has leveraged her business and people acumen to the benefit of both public and privately held companies, particularly in healthcare, but also in the retail and tech space. More recently, she was Senior Vice President of Human Resources for McKesson Specialty Health, an $18 billion business unit of McKesson Corporation. Today, Diane brings her 40-plus years of experience to her coaching and consulting practice clients in multiple industries through Houston-based Diane Gallo and Associates. On a more personal note, around 30 years ago, Diane plucked a know-it-all, wet-behind-the-ears HR generalist out of a small hospital HR department and invested her time in developing and mentoring him and, when necessary, kicking me in the ass. And my life was forever changed for the better by Diane's mentorship and friendship. And there are dozens, if not hundreds, of people across the country with similar stories. So with all the mushy stuff out of the way, welcome to Good Morning HR, Diane. Thanks, Mike. I'm going to tear up. That was really very lovely introduction. And it is 100% true. So... Thank you. I appreciate that. You were so, fun to get in the uh, posterior. Yeah. Well, and you had to do it a few times. So, but you were always patient, and and I always tell people the one gift that Diane Gallo has more than anybody I've ever worked with is the ability to help people see their own potential uh, beyond what they thought was possible, and uh, and the patience to help pull that out of them. So, uh, I again would I forever be 
uh, indebted to you. In fact, had you not plucked me out of that department, I would have never met Christy. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have ever uh, married. I wouldn't have had those three kids. I probably wouldn't have this company. So, uh, so I am, uh, you made a giant difference. Well, you're all on your talent, Mike, all on your talent. Uh, Thank you. So over my career, uh, and I'm sure you have too, I've, I've seen a ton of mergers and acquisitions where the acquiring company just trumpeted how much they love the culture of this company that they're acquiring. In fact, they loved it so much that they strangled it and killed everything that was really great about that company and eventually just absorbed what was left of it into their operations as a, another just generic department. What do you think causes that? I think that's a really astute way of putting it. Um, strangled uh, is a good word. Um, when you deal with an M&A in any case, neither culture will be the same. So if you walk in with an expectation that you're going to be able to keep one culture, um, you're, you're starting from a losing proposition because anytime you introduce anything into a culture, the culture changes. So the, that not taking care to think about what the new culture, the merged culture is going to look like, you really put yourself in a position where the likelihood of success is, is really fraught with difficulty. And back in the day, uh, which were a long day, a lot of days ago, uh, we worked on some acquisitions together. We were part of a growing healthcare system. You know, and it, it makes sense that the acquiring company would look at comp and benefits, uh, possible legal liabilities, technology, policies and procedures, all of that. You know, all that stuff, you know, more of the block and tackling, nuts and bolts, HR stuff. But what else should an acquiring company be reviewing from a people standpoint as they evaluate an acquisition target? That's a great question. I think one thing that's often missed is a cultural due diligence. Okay, sending a senior HR person into the uh, uh, potential acquiree and spending time with the employees, getting a sense of what the culture feels like, how the how things are communicated, what the chain of command is like, etc., and really understanding what that looks like. I mean, anybody can do the math on benefits being uh, needing to be harmonized or comp, etc. But what you don't get if you just do the hard copy and the math and the you know, assessments of plans is you don't get a feel for what the culture is. And you have to go deep on that too, because a lot of times your values are similar, but how they're expressed in your organization differ. So you can't just say, oh yeah, we value, you know, customer centricity. Okay, that means something different in acquiring company and acquirer. What what are the differences? How does it look? And what's the best way to uh, present going forward? So if 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 I'm the HR leader and, and of the acquiring company, I'm walking in there, um, you know, are, 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 am I setting up one-to-ones with, with folks or how, what is that process? What's a good way to go about that? It depends, but I think you want some candid information. So I think you ask the um, acquiree if they're willing to let you sit down with some employees and just get a sense of what they do. Um, that's a good rationale. It doesn't say I'm trying to take peek under the covers. It says I really just want to know what you do. And you will get a lot of information when people start telling you about their jobs. You'll tell a little bit about their engagement. You'll tell a little bit about their um, idea of the company and how the company's doing. And you'll get a sense for how people feel like they're treated. Um, and I think that's a good way to do it. Acquired companies may not be um, terribly open to those things. So one of the things I would suggest is you look at Glassdoor. Um, now Glassdoor is very much, uh, it's very, all corner cases, either, either they love you or they hate you, but you can pull a few different things out of there that might give you some indication of things you want to want to look at. Um, also looking at what kind of lawsuits they had, of course, um, 
it from an employee standpoint will tell you culturally what the issues may be, but you really can't um, walk into a business and expect the culture to, to follow um, their your rules or their rules. You got to remember that the inquiry is they're nervous. Okay, they're having they're having thoughts about oh my god this is a huge change they're going to take my job away or this big behemoth is taking over our little company will never be personal anymore so there's a lot of issues that need to be sourced and discussed and I think open discussion is really a, a strong part of that diligence. If I'm the HR leader in the company being acquired, what what should I what questions should I be asking along that process? Um, I would ask, what's your culture like? What how what are your values? How are your values expressed in your business? How do you feel um, management communicates with employees? Um, it's very top down. Is it very much a, a kind of grassroots kind of communication? Get a feel for the things that make the company's personality, for lack of a better word, because companies do have individual personalities. Um, you can pretty much tell a lot about a company just by how people react to those questions and also by how um, people in individual jobs, uh, their tenure, things like that, looking at people's turnover, et cetera. You can get a real good feel for that. So I'd want to know uh, if I was from the acquiree, I'd say, well, what's your turnover like? How's your recruiting? Um, is it easy for you to get candidates? Um, you know, what, what do you think your employer brand is out there? Um, you know, what do you think you guys do really well? Um, and what are you proud of uh, for, for your employee? Um, the things you're doing for employee experience, what are you proud of? And you'll get a really good sense of what that business considers to be important. And I think that's a great way for an HR person and the acquiree to be uh, able to have a good dialogue with the acquirer. And it probably shows the level of sophistication on, on, you know, as they, you know, as the acquired company. And maybe I'm trying to figure out what my next role is going to look like. Mm -hmm. Am I going to be part of this or not? And it can't hurt to, you know, to have good, good information as I make those decisions mm -hmm. and, and, and build rapport with whoever may be my boss one day. Right, right. Absolutely. So you said that the two different cultures can't exist and neither of them are going to be the same um, after the acquisition. So does that just does that just mean that we shouldn't buy a company because we think they've got an amazing culture and, no. it's, and, and the culture is really key to their success? No, I think you want to take a look at the company that you're purchasing and determine what things you want to make sure you are able to bring across to the acquirer and make a conscious effort of building those competencies within your leadership. If they are great at customer service and let's say your company doesn't have that reputation, what are they doing that makes them great? How do you dissect that to a point where you are able to take things and put them into the acquirer's company and acquirer's kind of DNA in order to do it better? Eventually, though, you're going to have a mixed culture between the two businesses because you can't really put two different things together and expect to get um, something homogenous. You really are going to have a new new version of both. And I think some people think you can just, um, by virtue of size, sometimes subsume a culture and make it yours when, in fact, it's it's going to be changed by the attitudes and the uh, lifestyle of the company that they're bringing in. So I think that's a critical point to think about as well. Yeah, because, I mean, you may be buying a company because they've got certain patents or unique, you know, unique production methods or something like that. But 95% of what you're buying are the people, right? I mean, you're buying and, and you're, what you're really buying is the opportunity to try to get them to stay. 
I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, uh, very few of them are going to have golden handcuffs that make it, you know, hard for them to, to leave. And if you don't, if you're not planning for making sure that you understand what they want and what they need uh, and what will help them be successful, um, then you're just going to, you know, you're going to come up short. So as that, go ahead. I was going to say, that's a really good point. And one thing you have to do is kind of take a look at the executive team of the company you're acquiring and determine who the keepers are. Um, there's going to be some that will not fit in your culture if you're acquiring a very entrepreneurial company and you are more of a, a bureaucratic company, you can bet you're going to lose those entrepreneurial leaders. And probably that's not necessarily a bad thing long term, but you want to think about putting in retention packages and things that the, the knowledge won't go with them quickly because that is mm-hmm. it's critical. Um, but you'll also see other people that may may need to have some sort of uh, incentive to be around for a certain period of time and others that you want to not incent to be around for a certain period of time based on the fact that they're redundant, et cetera. So you can kind of take a, a look at the um, whole team and determine who who are the ones you want to pay special attention to, much like you sp- pay special attention to high potential employees. You kind of disproportionately give them opportunities so that they can exercise that potential. Same here. Yeah, and it reminds me you're talking about entrepreneurial leaders. I I've had several friends who've sold their companies to bigger companies and and were you know had a, a commitment to stay on one year or two years. Which uh, a friend of mine who did who went through that process described it as watching your daughter get married to somebody you really don't like and then going and living with him for two years, mm-hmm. and it was painful. Uh, and so and it wasn't a, necessarily even a hit on the acquiring company or on my friend. It was just this is a guy who's built his company over the years and, and it's got, it's got his brand and his personality and now he's watching it change on a daily basis. And and that's hard for a lot of folks. It's very hard. And I think that you're never going to make it easier, but you have to acknowledge the change and you have to acknowledge that everybody in a change loses something. Okay. So you have to figure out what you're losing and then you have to start talking about what the, the change outcome is going to be and what you may be gaining. It's always, it always goes both ways. I'm losing my autonomy as an entrepreneur, but I'm gaining a partner that has a huge amount of funds that are, is able to make my company grow that I don't have. So, so you have to really start pointing those things out because they're, they're dealing with loss. Um, and, and everybody's dealing with loss, even on the acquirer side. If all of a sudden I'm getting a bunch of new peers and my idea of my promotion being next in line may change, um, those things are going to be complicated as well. So as those cultures come together and this new organization's culture is, is fleshed out, how hands-on, how, how organic is that versus intentional and hands-on from, from leadership? in develop, defining the new one? First of all, I don't think it's a conscious, uh, we're going to define a new culture and we get a whiteboard and you get everybody together and do that. Okay. I think what you're doing is watching it evolve, but, but guiding it the direction you want it to go. So you're watching the changes evolve. You, you are supporting the things you want to keep within the company you're acquiring and really giving them interest and input and ability to flourish. And you're um, basically helping them just you uh, eliminate some things that maybe are not going to be a fit across the way. One uh, example I can give you is when we acquired a company um, in one of my prior roles, uh, the company had very similar values to ours. Okay. So, but we went through and kind of did a values review and talked across executives. What does that value look like in your company? Okay. How is that um, exercise? What, how is it demonstrated? How do people come to work with, 
integrity or innovation, et cetera. The differences are in the details. And fleshing out the differences, nobody's wrong. The fleshing out the differences gave them some common ground to, to really start engaging and talking as well. One thing I will mention is I have worked for multiple CEOs who have told acquirees at the moment of truth that nothing will change. And in their mind, that's true, okay? Nothing will change. I'm, you're still going to have your product. You're still, we're still going to do this, et cetera. You're still going to stay in the same building. But the bottom line is it's a huge change. No matter how, how much, how intact you try to keep that company, it's a huge change. And by not acknowledging it, you get people that will come back around and say, you said nothing was going to change. And so you really get resentment um, and unintentionally by making a statement that really can't be true. And I've heard it and, uh, and lived to uh, try to uh, dissuade people of that for many years. So, yeah, and I think it's true. I mean, any just, I think there's just a, a mindset change. We have different owners, sure. and that alone is going to impact, you know, how you think about where you work and especially if you've been there a while. But if I'm an operator, I bought you for your product, that's not going to change. Uh, you know, and so in my mind, everything's going to be the same, except now I own you. So um, that's a whole different, different kind of um, approach. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Recert Credits. Then select episode 82 and enter the keyword Gallo. That's G-A-L-L-O. On March 8, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled Ethical Considerations in Talent Acquisition. We'll discuss the relationship between individual and organizational ethics and engage in an interactive conversation around a number of common ethical challenges that we face in recruiting, interviewing, and selecting new employees. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after March 8, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. Also, don't forget that yesterday's webinar, Mitigating Bias in the Employee Selection Process, is also available for viewing for credit at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Diane Gallo. When we talked about values um, and having having folks describe what they look like in your organization, so what does it mean to always act with integrity? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what stories do you tell around that? I guess um, when you have those disagreement or those not even disagreements where they just don't fit, where there's not alignment between what we call I'll always act with integrity, which is one of imperative values versus what, how somebody else tells that, that same mm-hmm. story. Um, what's the process for resolving that? As, so as we go forward, this is what the story really is when we say this thing. I think when you have two different versions of, of a value, like how to act with integrity, I think you take two and pull the best out of both of them and, and basically get agreement that that's what it looks like here. Okay. Because you're going to be in a situation and that's a really, it's one of those values that everybody expresses, but how it's expressed is different. Okay. It might be in customer relations. It might be in employee relations. It might be in business transactions, whatever. So you really want to get an idea of, of how people are looking at that and then really determine what, how you can best merge those two and come out with something that looks probably looks and feels as a, uh, more of like an aggregate 
than anything else when something like integrity um customer service uh is is another one you know we give excellent customer service what does excellent look like you know is it timely is it um not not having the phone call hang up there's lots of things that you can get to that level of detail and i think you'll get some agreements because i don't think you're going to acquire a company that's that far off um but uh, occasionally it happens but at least you're able to start sorting through it and a big part of the whole process, you know, pre-merger, during the process of the merger and after or the acquisition, um, communication. I mean, and oh that's a key yeah. people thing. Mm -hmm. So yes. talk about what, what does that look like? How do you, how do you, when do you tell people, when do you tip off, you know, that, Hey, we're looking at this and, and, and how do you reassure people without making promises that you know right, you can't right. keep and all of that. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, um, that's a really good point. You can't keep secrets very long. Once the transaction is happening, you can bet it's being talked about. So as soon as you can legally talk about it, if it's a stock issue or, you know, insider issue, you may not be able to talk about it. But as soon as you can legally talk about it, you want to start engaging people. The best thing to do is have um, uh, FAQs frequently asked questions, sit down with your team and the team of leaders and say, what do we expect to be asked and on both sides and actually have written answers that are available for your leaders to refer to. If not, they're going to fill in the blanks with things that are not necessarily true or right. I mean, they have good intentions, but they're, they, you know, you want to make sure the messaging is the messaging that you want to put across about what's happening. And that's a huge piece of it. Also during the, what I would call the integration period, which is post purchase, but not, they're not fully integrated. Communication has to really gear up and be probably three or four times what it was before. One of um, the things I really like to, about McKesson is our project management office put together something, a newsletter on a weekly basis called Better Together. And they would highlight certain employees and highlight certain things that one company was doing, et cetera, just to bring familiarity across the two businesses in order to help them kind of understand each other going in the door. The idea of taking, I mean, it sounds like old school, but taking a picture of somebody and having it in a newsletter, digital or whatever, um, and giving some personal information about that person and what they do and why it's important, it goes a long way to helping them assimilate. And, you know, we, we you, know, you can't make promises about who's going to get, who's going to no. be here, who's not, and all of that. And that's always hard for people. And they want to insist on, you know, and often they, they'll, employees will claim you're not being transparent. Right. When in fact, right. we just don't know. So how do you deliver that message that we don't know yet uh, in a way that employees will hear it? I, th I think you have to be candid and say, you know, right now we are going through and looking at all the things that everybody's doing and determining how we're best going to structure this organization. Um, you know, if you, I would just suggest to you that you continue to do your job well and, uh, and you know, watch things as they evolve. Nobody's, nobody has a secret list. People have accused me of having a secret list of who's going to go and things like that. Uh, nobody has a list anywhere. They're not, you're not putting names on it. Who's naughty and who's nice. Um, you know, that kind of thing. They're basically trying to figure out what the organization looks like. And then once the organization is complete, then they staff it. You really don't, don't figure out how the staff is going to look until you know what you want to do. And I don't think at the immediate point of purchase, they're going to know yet completely on how they're going to manage that company. One of the things that can happen is that you have key players in the organization that's being acquired who have deep institutional knowledge, key skills, um, and things that you, you know, really help that organization succeed. And you see a need to 
retain them, you know, and preserve access to that information and that those skills. Uh, at what point in the acquisition process do you start having those conversations with those folks so that they, you know, the, you know, your most talented people are the ones who could most easily go find another role right, someplace. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're upfront initially and say, you know, one of the reasons that we were interested in this company is you've done so well in, I don't know, designing your product uh, packaging or something like that, right? You've done a really good job at that. So I really would like to understand what that looks like and how it was done and how it was created. You need to get the histories, the oral histories, if you can. Um, and you also, once again, you, um, you know, money motivates occasionally and, and retention bonuses to get us through the situation. And there'll be something on the upside for you is definitely a motivator. But many entrepreneurial companies that are acquired, there's so much passion around it that they're going to want to share what they've done to be successful. Um, like your friend who felt like his daughter married the wrong guy or whatever. It's very similar because you feel like your baby is being taken from you and somebody else is trying to nurture it, not in the way that you would. So you have to be very careful about um, how you do that. But I think respect is part of it. I've also seen acquiring companies come down like our way is the right way, the best way and not listen. Okay, and not really take into account that some of the reasons we are acquiring a company is because they do things well and not wanting to take um, the take the example of what they're doing well and incorporate it into the acquirer. I think there's a real big piece about helping your leaders see that, not, that just because they do it that way doesn't mean it's the only way to be done and helping them look at how the other folks are doing it and then rationally determine best ways to do things. And as we integrate the two organizations, even if the acquired organization is going to be a subsidiary, you know, just a wholly owned subsidiary, we're not going to really uh, combine all the operations. You still got the issue that what one, you know, every bank calls every clerk and, you know, a vice president. Right. But and so you've got, you know, title inflation is a is a big deal uh, in, in some companies. And so how do you level those titles in a way that that doesn't make people feel like they're losing something? Or is that just, just a fact that you're going to, you know, they just have to deal with it? Well, I think it's a fact, but I think you need to contextualize it. Okay. If you are the um, director of uh, operations in a, you know, $50 million company and you're moving to a $1 billion company, being a director has a lot more scope, right? Um, your working title may remain director on your business card, but your title in, in whatever system or hierarchy you have is probably gonna be manager. And that, that's hard for people to take, but you have to really conceptualize it around the, the scope of the business and the fact that, you know, very nice that you have that title and very much appreciate it and you've got all that there, but, and they may still use it as a working title because we don't want them to look to the outside world as if they were demoted. But on the internal uh, infrastructure, it will probably be a lo lower title and, and the understanding is based around the difference in scope and responsibility. And often when, you know, whenever you hear the word synergy, it often mm -hmm. means we're cutting, we're going to be able to uh, combine these two organizations and have, you know, eliminate the redundancies between the two of them and have, you know, one group of managers instead of two and, and executives are going to slim down. Any experience or insight into how you, you get people to not panic, especially at that, at, you know, manager or leadership level? Uh, when they, when they, you know, when, when the writing's on the roll, you know, we don't need two CFOs in this organization. Right. So. right, right. I, I think um, as companies grow, you know, there are more opportunities. So I think talking about the fact that growth and that being acquisitive adds value and adds opportunities is good. But 
the highest risk people are people like us, the functional areas, because we become redundant um, more likely than uh, somebody who has a specialized skill in an operational area. So making yourself um, comfortable with the fact that you may need to develop other skills or be more competitive um, in your workplace and that your position isn't exactly assured in the same way that it was before is, is, is a big deal. Um, some companies make it a point to bring in some of the acquired leaders in the functional areas and integrate them into their departments so that they can basically demonstrate a, um, a commitment to both. Um, and I think that that's very savvy, but hopefully those that they have taken out have had other roles to go to based on the growth. So as we wrap up, what other people-related considerations should either the acquiring or the acquired company keep in mind as, you know, to make that, that merger acquisition as successful as possible? Be candid as you possibly can. Be transparent about what's going on. It is a situation where nobody has a crystal ball. Um, admit that. Um, really coach your managers around, uh, the acquirer coach your managers around looking at the acquired company, not as somebody we're just going to uh, absorb, but looking at them for the things they do and figuring out what best practices are. And when you figure out those best practices, really, really celebrating them, giving them some, some spotlight within the company so that you can demonstrate that you got the best out of both opportunities. I think that's a big deal. And you said it earlier, and um, you've got to communicate you know, if you communicated once a week, you're going to be communicating daily and sometimes more than that. People are, are the worst thing you can have is a bunch of people that are on pins and needles about whether they're going to have a job or if some if the new company likes them or whatever uh, is out there. So you really have to spend time making sure people know that they just need to show up authentically, do their job and help us understand what that is and then move forward. Well, I appreciate your time it's, uh, and, and the insight, um, you know, of all your experience and you know i hope my my listeners love you as much as i do and uh always look forward to the opportunity to, to 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 visit with you and to see you so thanks for joining me today diane well thank you for inviting me this was a lot of fun thanks and thank you for listening you can find previous episodes show notes and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on facebook instagram or youtube and don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is my technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up.